Hi everyone, uh, we're going to be reading from Acts 2, verses 1 to 13. I'll give you a moment to open up. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them hears, we, how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much to wine. Friends, uh, we are in the series Go to see lives transformed. And uh, a few years ago, I was in Queensland and uh, at a large Baptist church, we had a few thousand people there. Uh, but the pastor of that church was speaking at a leadership conference and uh, he said one day he preached at the end of the service, a bit like this, just a few more people, and uh, made an altar call, asked people to give their life to Christ, to believe the gospel uh, and to let God change them. And this man came forward after the service and he said, I looked at this man and he, uh, he looked a mess, he said. He was dirty, he was smelly, he was shaking, at least with a drug addiction, who knows what else. And Jason said, as I prayed for him, I had doubts that God could change him. He just seemed too far from God and I doubted whether we would see him again. But he prayed for him, he's a pastor, right? Got to believe God's word. He prayed for him, for this broken man calling out, to God to save and transform him. Then the man went away. A few weeks later, the same guy turns up to church and Jason didn't recognize him. He said he looked and he smelled different. He dressed differently. There was an air of confidence in the man, no longer shaking, uh, affected by drugs, but a confidence in Christ. There was a joy in God. Within a few weeks, he joined their welcoming team. He was so changed and transformed by the power of the gospel, by the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. So a few weeks later, then he turned up, walked into the church one day, big smile on his face with a woman on his arm. He said, I met one person, and within a short period of time, God had radically transformed him by his spirit. God had taken a broken man and made him new. That's what God does. God takes broken men and women, he restores us to relationship with him, forgives our past, puts his Holy Spirit within us, and gives us ultimate joy and starts to remake us from the inside out. And then God gives that spirit, though, not simply for an inner transformation, but that we would be powerful witnesses for him, that others too would hear that gospel. I love the fact that uh, Ruth tells us when they showed the Jesus film, in his village, 
What was he doing? He picked up rocks and he started to throw at the crowds watching the Jesus film. He was trying to disrupt the message of the gospel. Some of those who are opposed to Jesus, God then touches and transforms. God does the miraculous. Friends, in Acts chapter 2, the disciples experienced something that no one had experienced before. A visitation of God in a miraculous way that transformed thousands of people in one time, one hit. In Acts chapter 1, uh, Jesus said to his disciples before he returned to heaven, he said, do not leave Jerusalem, hang in there, wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Don't go. Something unique and special and radical is about to take place. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. I love that you will be, not you might be. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, the wider Israelite area and to the ends of the earth. When I think about that, we are at the ends of the earth, Australia's ends of the earth, right? And God was right. God's word came true. The gospel has come out even out to us and into Cambodia and to all the nations of the earth. But what would they do in Acts 1.14? They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. They are praying. They are waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And the day of Pentecost comes. What do we know about the day of Pentecost, this specific day? It occurred 50 days after Passover. Pente, if you know anything about Greek, all you scholars, ena dio tria tesra pende, right? Five. That's where you get the holiday, the 50 days afterwards. It's a root of the word 50. Originally, Pentecost celebrated the conclusion of the barley harvest. As time went on, though, Pentecost was to commemorate the giving of the law of Moses on Mount Sinai following the Passover when the redemption of the people from Egypt was remembered. Here they are. God has provided redemption, salvation, deliverance, and now they, they commemorate that. And I think it's appropriate that the event that was going to propel the gospel to the ends of the earth, the coming of the Spirit, took place at a time when people from the ends of the earth were in Jerusalem. You see, they came and gathered. And Pentecost was the inauguration of the new era of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit who would empower us to proclaim the authentic Jesus to our city, our country, and to the ends of the earth. Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. And you need to think of this event, this day, and it's not repeated very often. Sometimes people say, oh, I wish it was like Acts chapter 2. No, no, Acts chapter 2 is a special visitation of God to, to make a point, to pour out His Spirit, to say a new day has begun. Because in visitations of God and what we call revival, uh, miraculous things happen. What do we have? Physical phenomena. We'll look at that in a moment. What took place? Deep conviction of sin, verse 37. When God visits, and often you've read about revivals. Some of you have been, uh, remember last year there was this sort of revival, and awakening in a university campus in America. Where they just kept singing and worshipping and repenting uh, day after day after day, week after week for a period. It's happened in cities around the world. It just seems to be God has just touched that place and you get convicted of your sin and you want to change, you want to be holy, you want to be godly. This is what God is doing. There's a conviction of sin, 3,000 conversions. Now, we're happy when we get one or two, right? 
Amen. <laughs> we pray and we work hard, and there's one convert there, one there. 3,000, verse 41. There's a widespread, widespread sense of awe, verse 43. Signs of revival. So let's have a look at this visitation of God on the day of Pentecost, what it means, and then we'll look at the implications. There is wind and fire. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Imagine where, imagine where this group, and all of a sudden, this massive wind blows through. I mean, sometimes this place shakes. Sometimes we have storms, the windows are open, and you can feel it shaking. But here, the blowing of a violent wind filled the whole house. Now, you would, if that happened here, you would not be sitting here like this listening. You'd be going, what in the world's going on here, right? Something is taking place. And did you know the word for wind and spirit is the same word, pneuma? So when God blows in this massive wind, it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit about to come on the people. Secondly, what appeared and came down on them what seemed to be tongues of fire. Now that's scary, right? It's blowing and then something seems to be coming down like fire upon us. What's fire? In the burning bush in Exodus, fire is the symbol of the divine presence. Exodus chapter 3 verse 2, it's the burning bush with Moses. God appears in the burning bush. But secondly, John the Baptist associates the spirit uh, with fire as a means of cleansing and judgment. God appears by his spirit, God is present, and God's going to do a work of cleansing. God's also going to bring a word of judgment on a nation that has rejected him. The wind, the tongues, indication that God was in the house. God is here. God's about to do something. And then, uh, if that wasn't uh, weird enough, it gets weirder. Speaking in other tongues or unlearned languages, verse 4 to 11. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the, one of the evidences here is they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. You think, what are these other tongues? What are these languages? We can work it out from the response of the listeners. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. You see, because they come back for these big festivals. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. So that, that group of 120 are now talking, preaching in other languages that they've never learnt. And the people in the sub who've turned up are going, that's my language, that's my language, that, that's Russian, that's Arabic, that's, how did they learn that? And they, he lists all the places they come from, 15 different areas. 120 believers are speaking in what the, the Greek says, another glossa, uh, a, bit, a bit of Greek tonight. Glossa just means a tongue. It can mean my literal tongue, or it can mean a language. It's a glossa. See, uh, sometimes uh, people ask me, how many tongues do I speak? I speak two. I have two glosses. One is English, one is Greek. And I freak people out with the Greek every so often. I was in the office area the other day, and talking to uh, some workers, and uh, my father rang. When my father rings me, guess what I speak, language I speak to him? It's in Greek, right? And people around here are not used to having me speaking in Greek in conversations. I'm on the phone, and we talk loudly. We're just Greek. We just can't help it. 
And I'm talking in fluent Greek. So I have two glosses, but these guys are going to speak in a glossa or a language they've never learnt. Normally, there are 55,000 people in uh, Jerusalem at this time. During the festivals, up to 200,000 people. So commotion has taken place. Everyone's hearing it. They've heard about the wind. They, they've uh, obviously heard about the tongues of fire. And they're hearing these people declaring the wonders of God. And everyone's now getting closer to hear what happened. And what are these people doing? Are they talking about Taylor Swift? I like Taylor Swift. Are they talking about the Matildas? Are they talking about where they're going for lunch? The Holy Spirit comes upon them, and what are they doing? They're declaring the wonders of God. That God is good. That God's creator. God's redeemer. You come and follow him. He's holy. He's righteous. He's on the side of the poor. He offers forgiveness and new life. They're declaring the wonders of God. God has come. His Holy Spirit has now come upon us. God's promises are true. God does what he says. You see, and everyone's hearing them declaring not their goodness, the glories and the wonders of God. And when you share good news like this, two responses, as the same today. Bewilderment, amazement, perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? They're bewildered, literally stopped in their tracks. They're utterly amazed, literally swept off their feet. Amazed and perplexed. They find it incredible, inexplicable. We don't know what's going on. How can these people who are Galileans, he says, verse 7, who have a reputation for being uncultured, get to speak in our language? It's a miracle of God. There are others, though, who mock them. Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. He tells them later, it's early in the morning, guys, no one's had too much wine. It's not a late night party, you haven't been to the club or the, or the peaky. It's like it's early in the morning. And that is normal. When you declare the wonders of God, some people go, can you tell me some more? Others will throw rocks at you, like Bruce. That's normal. So what are the implications? If that is happening there, the beginning, implication for us. Two major implications, and a third one just throw in at the end. Intimacy with God and joy in worship. When the Holy Spirit comes upon people, we develop a deep, intimate, and supernatural experience of God. You don't necessarily feel different, but you know that God is in you. The Bible said God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. And because he has poured out his heart, his love into our hearts, we can't help but declare the wonders of God. And singing, and we've been doing it tonight, is one of the supreme expressions of our joy over intimacy we have in Christ. John Wesley said, singing is as much the language of holy joy as praying is of holy desire. We pray desiring to see God honoured. We pray that people would be saved. We pray that wars would cease. We pray all these good things. It's a holy desire. But then there needs to be a holy joy. And let me suggest to you, if you don't have the holy joy, if he is not everything for you, it's not going to overflow into powerful witness. If you don't have a holy joy in Christ, if the Holy Spirit has not taken hold of you, and you haven't released your life to the Holy Spirit and his influence, if you're not walking according to the Spirit of God, then you're not going to have a prayer for a holy desire. You're not going to be praying the things on the heart of God. We need a holy joy. 
and holy desire. And Paul links it uh, with singing in Ephesians 5, by the way. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So if you get drunk on wine, it leads to wild living, sexual immorality, uh, terrible behavior, ungodly behavior. Instead, be filled, in one sense, be drunk, be overcome by the Holy Spirit. Don't get overcome by, by an alcoholic beverage. Get overcome by the goodness of the Holy Spirit of God. And what will you do? You will speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You'll sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Friends, when the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, it brings us holy joy. Ajith Fernando is a Sri Lankan Christian leader, been through some terrible uh, calamities in Sri Lanka, uh, terrible wars and, and persecution of Christians. I heard him speak at Morling College a number of years ago. We brought him out to speak at a preaching conference. And I was reading something in his commentary. He said this, We as Christians must constantly seek to recapture what Pentecost signified, vibrant intimacy with God and joyous worship that ensure from it. We will not proclaim what we do not cherish in our hearts. Last night I was going to watch Sydney FC play against Melbourne City and then the Matildas play Uzbekistan. So I went on Facebook and told people, you share what you enjoy. I even threw a photograph of my daughter at, uh, at Taylor Swift too, just in case someone thought I didn't like Taylor Swift. <laughs> like everyone. <laughs> And that's why Piper says God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us. Ever flows and, and God gets glory and honor. When we are satisfied in him, we have holy joy in him. We see all that he's done for us. And it naturally flows, secondly, to a powerful witness. You see, when Peter then gets up to preach, you see some people are amazed, other people are mocking them, you guys are drunk. You don't make sense. He preaches the gospel in Acts chapter 2. You can read the whole thing later. But he teaches on the life, death, and resurrection and exaltation of Jesus back to heaven. Fellow Israelites, verse 22, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So guys, you're worried about this spirit and these strange things happening. Let me, let me tell you, he says, this is about Jesus. You killed him, but God raised him. Verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. In other words, we've seen the resurrected Jesus. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. This is a God thing. You notice that? He's got God the Father, he's got God the Son, got the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is at work here. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Do you know how I know it's a visitation of God here? It's a revival that's about to take place. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. Went, oh no. You know when you've done something wrong, you feel guilty, and you just feel ashamed? Happens to me. Sometimes I don't feel ashamed when I do the wrong thing, and that's a bad sign. When you do the wrong thing, and you think, no, that's wrong. 
I shouldn't have done that. I've, I've offended God and I've hurt my brother or my sister. You're cut to the heart. They're cut to the heart because they didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And they've been part of putting him to death. They don't know what to do. Brothers, what shall we do? What are we going to do? Is there some way out of this? Is there some way of hope? Is there some way that we can find forgiveness? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Yes, there's something you can do, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them. I love that. He warns them, and he pleads with them. Sometimes when we do evangelism, we sort of say, hey, Jesus loves you. This is what he's done. Take it or leave it. Don't put it in that way. Don't make it sound like it's a take it or leave it. It's not about taking it or leaving it. Because if they leave it, they remain under the judgment of God. Paul, I mean, sorry, Peter, he was willing to warn them. Listen, there's danger if you continue in this way. Plead it with him. Please come back to Jesus. Please repent. It will make sense. Your life will be much better. There's a pleading. You have to be careful about that. And we push you on people. You, you want to badger people. But sometimes with a mother or a father or a son or a daughter, sometimes with tears, you have to say, please don't put me off. Eight years separation from your father. You come to Jesus. Fighting your family. Borders who come in to know Jesus. It leads to tension, but somewhere you've got to love them and pray with them and as opportunity to plead with them. He, he pleads with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let me tell you something. We can fill up that baptistry anytime you're ready. Because if you put God first in your life and you receive the Holy Spirit, you repent and believe and God wants you to be baptized in water to say, my old life is gone. I'm now raised new in Jesus Christ. And these guys did not debate their baptism. They just got baptized, right? And let me say, maybe you need to give your life to Jesus tonight. In all of our gatherings, there are non-Christians who come on a Sunday. Maybe you need to say, I've just got to get right with God. Maybe you've been a Christian in the past, you made a decision, you think, I really haven't lived anywhere near that. I need to recommit myself to Jesus. I'm pleading with you. I'm warning with you, as Peter did. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Don't get caught up. Some of you are going to start a university and you're going to have all these non-Christian friends trying to push you one way or the other. Don't go there. Love them. Share Christ with them. Make a difference. But maybe you just need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to courageously share Christ with others. Friends, there is power in the Holy Spirit for you to be powerful witnesses. Let me give you a few examples in application. Just sit back and you, you'll have your own stories. In my Bible study last week, a guy called Mick, Mick attends uh, our 9 o'clock congregation, he's one of our drummers. He reminded us how he came to hear about Jesus. We have our sermons on a local radio station, 90.1 Embassy FM. About 20 years ago, he heard it. He rang the office. He said, I want to talk to the guy preaching on your radio program. So he came in to see me because he heard about Jesus and we spent six, uh, a few hours talking about Jesus. And he went away. Six months later, he came back. He asked some more questions. Then he started coming regularly, gave his life to Christ. He's now been serving Christ for 20 years. He hears the gospel. God changes him just off a hearing a word on a radio station. This week, or sorry, last week I was at uh, Morling College. 
often there for various meetings, and uh, I got to meet two guys who've both been in prison. One guy is still in prison, and the other guy's just been released from prison, but they were both at Morling Theological College. Morling College is not a prison, by the way, right? It's a Bible college. You train for ministry, right? Some people might see it as a prison, but it's not. <laughs> you train for ministry. Lachlan's now a student there. Graham's a lecturer there. But this friend of mine took me into this guy, this guy called AJ, and um, covered in tats, big smile on his face. I'd heard about him that he'd converted in prison. Someone told him about Jesus. I don't know his story, but I know he came to faith in prison, then was involved with the Christian group in the prison. And now he's on day release. I said, what are you doing here? He said, I'm on day release. I get off from eight to four. I catch a train into lectures. I do my study, then I catch a train home to my prison cell. I said, well, okay, how did you go, yeah. And he said, I'm on, God willing, he said, I'll be on parole in four, four months. I've done most of my time. He said, they came in and checked out our residential college at the college, because this is where I'm going to be living when I come out of prison. Just checking it all out. So it's not often that they have someone who goes to Bible college and has a degree in theology by the time he finishes our prison. So they're checking him out. Anyway, it's just the amazing transformation of God in this man's life. Here's another guy next to him, Cameron. Young guy, he's finished, he's now at university. And AJ was saying, I said, what are you doing, mate? He said, I'm writing an essay on the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. I said, that's a pretty heavy book, prophet. He said, yeah, I'm writing an essay on it. He said, a funny thing happened the other day, he said. He said, I was on a train going home to prison, as he does. And I saw a 14-year-old boy reading a Bible. He said, Ange, I've never seen a 14-year-old boy reading the Bible on the train when I go home. So I went over to him to talk to him. I'm just thinking, oh, 14-year-old boy, prisoner, it's going to end up well. And he said, uh, I asked him, what are you doing? He said, I'm reading the book of Jeremiah, but I don't understand it. He said, well, 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 I'm at Bible college, and I'm just studying the book of Jeremiah. He says, isn't God good? Here I am on a train, Sydney train, explaining the prophet's message of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. I was in prison, saved by Jesus now, sharing the good news of Jesus with a 14-year-old guy who wanted to know Jesus. At the entrance a few years ago, and uh, the pastoral team were up there for a conference, um, and I was, we, Millard was with us. He was uh, now the pastor at East Hills. And we went to have uh, breakfast at the final morning of the conference down by the water at the entrance. And we were walking past a couple, an older couple, and Millard said, I've just got to go and talk to them. Millard often does that. <laughs> he said, I just got told me I should go and talk to them. So we just kept going and having our coffee, our breakfast, watching him, praying for him in our minds. And uh, he came over about an hour later, 30 minutes, 40 minutes. He's still going. I said, what happened? He said, uh, just discovered the man has serious cancer. He doesn't know how long he's got to live. I just talked to them and prayed with them and asked if I could pray for them at the end that God would, you know, would help them through this process. You never know when you're going to share the truth of the gospel. In Bali a few years ago, where we have some ministry workers there and Ado's here. I remember meeting a young guy when I went over there and I said, Mate, um, how did you come to Christ? He said, I was a young street kid. I had nothing going for me. I had drugs and no money, no family. And some Christians found me and they told me about Jesus and they started to look after me and love me. And through that witness, I came to Jesus. When I met him, he's now leading the Christian surfing ministry at that point in a strategic mission. One time a street kid with no hope, broken and lost, and now a genuine transformed follower of Jesus Christ. 
we have the Education Foundation with David and Carol in Southeast Asia. Some of their Muslim workers and helpers are now coming to Jesus and getting baptised. And every someone, someone else wants to get baptised. Someone else wants to get baptised. Friends, uh, the book of Acts is happening all around the world as we take the good news. Friends, the, the guy, uh, share a little bit about myself, the guy who led me to Christ was a, a, a young teacher, blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy at Maracle Public School. He had a love for Jesus as well as teaching. He wanted to get the message of Jesus across to people. So he started an ISCF group, Interschool Christian Fellowship, in the primary school. When my younger brother went into high school, this guy started an after-school group in his classroom. So not in a church, not in a youth group. There's no buildings like this. He just opened up his classroom. We'd go and play cricket and football beforehand. He'd throw minces at us, had Bible quizzes. He'd get his guitar. One man, no band like this, one guy. And we're singing the songs in the 70s. Some of you will remember those songs from the 70s. and You guys have no idea. Uh, but we just sing along and he teaches the Bible and I ask a hundred questions. He told me later, he said, you're driving nuts with all your questions. We want to know the truth, but he was teaching us, but he showed us the truth. He loved us. He took us on outings and uh, he visited our homes. He visited our families. So the gospel was so important. He had such holy joy it overflowed into witness. So when I got saved, I just figured, if you get saved, you've got to tell people about Jesus, right? So I went to my high school, I found a Christian teacher, knocked on the staff room, in the, in the commerce staff room. I said, I hear you're a, you're a Christian, sir. He said, yeah, why do you ask? He said, well, I, think, I reckon we should start a Christian group in our school. I said, yeah, we can do that. So we set up a Christian school. So at lunchtimes, once a week, I invite my friends to come along to hear about Jesus. What else are you going to do with your time, right? And then later, I went to Sydney Teachers College. And this is a word to all you people starting university or continuing university. Get involved with your campus groups. Get involved in Bible studies. Get trained in evangelism. Get trained in leadership. Use the opportunity you have on campus. Ours was a small one. Ours was Sydney Teachers College. Maybe 40, 30 or 40 people in our group met weekly. I wrote articles for the student newspaper. We ran, brought bands in uh, and we put them on. We did anything we can to get the gospel of Jesus out. There was a woman in my group, and, um, and I just tried to share the gospel with all of them. I had great conversations, but not one of them became a Christian. Where's the powerful gospel? A few years later, I run into a teacher, a woman who was in my year group, really friendly, she was nice. Now teaching at St. George Christian School, she was back then. Now a follower of Jesus. When I met her, I said, yeah, what you had to say in the book she gave me to read had an influence on me. We're one link in the chain, brothers and sisters. You say something about Jesus, they meet another friend, they meet another friend. She's now saved. Her husband saved. None of them were saved back then. None of them knew Jesus back then. I can go on. I remember going on a camp. One night, maths camp. Maths teachers on a camp. It's like hopeless, right? We're, you know, you're going to do a fun Friday, uh, Saturday night event. We had to run an event. They said, can you guys come up and come up with some nice, interesting acts and so on? We went, yeah, no, I can't be bothered. Right? We didn't do anything. But I remember once I saw some people were insulting a Lebanese girl. Hear me for a moment. They were being racist towards a Lebanese girl. And I saw some of the behavior, some of the guys and girls were sort of sleeping together on this camp. And, uh, and then I just felt that overwhelming presence of the Spirit of God, I just walked away from everyone. I walked around the campus for two hours praying and weeping for that group of people. It was just the conviction of God. I said, 
God, they are so lost. They're, it's like Peter saying, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And then back, we came back that night. And because we didn't do, put on any acts, we started to play cards in one of the rooms. You know, it's about eight bunks. We had about 16 people in that room. We're playing cards. Everyone's in that room. Everyone, different layers. And I had a, a jacket called Another Student for Christ and a fish symbol. These are the old days, you know, old style evangelism. And someone said, what does that symbol mean? I told her that uh, it means Jesus Christ, Son of God, Saviour. So why do you wear it? I said, because I think I'd love to tell people about Jesus and his love and his death and his resurrection for me. And then someone also started to debate me. And then someone also asked another question. And for a moment, and this is my picture, there are 16 people in this room, this bunk room. I'm on my knees because I never had a seat, I never had a bed. I'm on the ground on my knees looking up, answering that question, that question, that question. Why did that happen? Because I prayed about a conviction of God as a holy desire, a holy joy in God that I wanted them to experience. And God just opened up conversations for the next two hours, friends. Now, I could not create that. You can't create that. God creates that when we're opening ourselves up to what he might do. And I still remember one of those guys, again, I'm just plugging this for university-age people for a moment. And one of the guys was uh, suddenly cool, not interested in Christian things. His name was Gary. Got a girlfriend for a long time, then broke up. But one of the guys, uh, they had an afternoon barbecue. And we all went to a barbecue in Greystains. I didn't know where Greystains was. I didn't know anything west of Bankstown, right? And... Uh, so I found my way out there, and they put, they're a bit of a band, so they put some songs together, they, they performed for us, a bit of rock and roll, and then we had a barbie. Then when I was in the garage by myself, Gary wanders in. He said, mate, listen, I've just, I just wondered, can you help me out? I said, what is it, Gary? So I was talking to a friend who's a Christian, I was trying to work out what this Christian thing is, and can you tell me what a Christian is and how someone becomes one? I don't quite, even after giving him the answer, I don't quite know why he asked. But what I'm saying to you, if you have time with people, more on this next week, being a friend of sinners, a friend of all, if you have enough time, people are hurting. People are looking for answers. Just be present where they can ask you those questions. Wherever it is, I said to people on a netball court, in a lecture, over lunch, in a school playground, there are opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with everyone. And finally, just a, a final note, expect rejection and mocking of spirit-filled believers. It's normal. Don't be surprised by it. Sometimes you share the gospel with someone. I've told you some good news stories, right? You share it with others, then they, they're not interested. And they just walk away. You can try and plead with them if you can. But just expect many people will mock you. I, saw, I mentioned this in the sermon this morning, and a couple said to me afterwards, because they both converted from Hinduism. Young couple, just got married. Both ex-Hindus. And uh, they're going to do an official... They had a... Uh, a marriage, and they're going to have an official marriage in a, uh, a reception, and they want a, a Christian service later, where they would like it done by a minister. So we're not sure how it's going to go, because our parents <laughs> uh, are quite antsy us becoming Christians. 
and we're struggling with the, the sense of rejection and unacceptance. But you know, they said we're following Jesus. Just like you guys, following Jesus. My dad banned me from going to a youth group. He'd come home angry after work. You're not going to that Christian thing. You're not allowed. Screaming, shouting, throwing things around the house. We didn't go that night. Praying for the next week that he wouldn't be as angry. We go. A few years later, I kept going to these Christian camps. He said, I don't want you to go to these Christian camps. I said, Dad, I'm running them now. <laughs> I'm the teacher, Dad. <laughs> but down the track, they were here for my daughter's baptisms, here for the opening of this building. Hang in there with them, love them, care for them, help them to come to Christ. Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Enjoy intimacy with God, will you? Be empowered by the Holy Spirit, will you? And expect amazement at by some people think, tell me more. And others will push you aside. I'm not interested. You're a religious nut. Leave me alone. That's life. That's normal. But we have Jesus and makes all the difference. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to save us and then to empower us. Lord, I ask that uh, in increasing measure you would visit our church, bring revival, bring conviction, bring enabling, that we would walk in the Spirit, that we would powerfully proclaim the gospel, that we would love the lost and make disciples. For Jesus' name we pray. Amen.